0: Well, good morning, it's um, good to be with you again as we, uh, it's hard to imagine, make our way through the summer. Um, Here we are the third week in August and um, the fall season is fast approaching, absolutely love September, um, but it's hard to see August go by so quickly. But uh, so glad you're with us today as we continue in our series of scripture talks, um, invited uh, to a new way of living based on the book of Colossians. And uh, just a couple of quick announcements for you as the summer is quickly moving past past us. uh, The second Sunday of September, September the 11th, at 5 p.m., we're having our in-person movie and meal night. Uh, We took a little break for a couple of years because of our pandemic, but we're we're resuming our tradition, our annual tradition of a a church family movie meal night. So you can head over to kingstreet.org Uh, We're going to have dinner together, and then we're going to watch a movie called Overcomer. It's an inspiring, faith-filled movie, and uh, it's a good chance to reconnect with old and new friends. So uh, you can, again, get your ticket, $8.50 for all the adults uh, who are going to join us, and then for children 10 and under, it's uh, $5. So I hope you'll come and be a part of that. That's Sunday, September the 11th. And as well, we're hosting in person our Global Leadership Summit again this year. And um, we get a discounted rate for all of our church family. So those of you who are looking for a um, actionable infusion of leadership content, this is a conference you don't wanna miss. And we've been uh, hosts for a number of years, and uh, it's always a a strong opportunity to get better as leaders. And leadership is about influence. So whether you consider yourself to have a formal position of leadership or not, leadership and life, go together and so whether you're leading a family or a work team or just influencing your children or your friends, uh, leadership is for all of us. So hope you'll consider joining us for that conference and that's on October 20th and 21st of this year. All right, so uh, Paul is the author of the book of Colossians. It's a four chapter book. Uh, He's writing from a first century Roman prison. Um, The books of Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of these books are written by the same author, the Apostle Paul, who finds himself in a prison uh, for the cause of Christ. Um, He has high regard for Jesus. As he writes the book of Colossians, the theme that merges emerges throughout the book is the supremacy of Christ, and Paul is no stranger to persecution or opposition when he declares that Jesus is king. And so uh, those four books, again, Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, um, they are known as prison epistles because Paul writes them from a first century Roman prison. And um, so Paul is not unrealistic about the costs associated with declaring that Jesus is king. You know, our culture is uh, pretty good with understanding Jesus as good moral teacher, but when we start talking about his exclusive claims that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is king over the universe, um, now all of a sudden some people can feel a little more uncomfortable with those claims. And again, those are not the claims that the church makes about Jesus, those are the claims that Jesus makes about himself. And so the apostle Paul, again, is elevating um, the uh, self-identity of Jesus, that he is a king over a kingdom, and all of us are invited to be a part of it, uh, that he is king over life and death, and that he is truly the way, the truth, and the life. And, and so we're gonna continue our series of scripture talks. We're gonna talk about how all of us are invited to approach relationships differently. When we understand that Jesus is king, we um, we consider our relational circles differently. Uh, they are informed by King Jesus. And uh, so, our passage to ponder has been the same one over the last number of weeks, and this is an 11-part series on the book of Colossians, and we're on part nine uh, today. And again, the first four verses of chapter three of the book of Colossians is our passage to ponder. It goes like this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. He's speaking to Jesus, following people who understand their identity. They have been crucified buried, and resurrected with Jesus. They've identified with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. So he says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." And so this passage to ponder recognizes that we have uh, died with Christ, and and that our hope is a confident hope, that one day, um, again, Christ, who has our life, will appear. And we also, those of us who put our saving faith in Jesus, will appear with him on the other side in his glory. And so um, today we're gonna talk uh, again about how the supremacy of Jesus informs our approach to relationships. Uh, Jesus is interested in healthy, strong marriages, healthy, strong families, and uh, vibrant workplaces where people are actually uh, living their best life and not just earning a living, but actually thriving in their place of employment. And uh, so before we get to this teaching, uh, I need to kind of sketch out a bit of a framework for some, um, I would call it an overarching principle that we need to hold before us as we walk through this teaching. Um, If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, there is in the first book, Genesis, chapter 16, there's a story of a man named Abram, who's... A name would later be changed to Abraham and his wife Sarah, and her name would later be changed to Sarah. Um, They had a uh, promise um, given to them from God that they would be, even though they were barren and without children, that they would one day be uh, the mother and father of a great nation. And uh, in fact, uh, they were waiting on God to fulfill this promise. But God doesn't always work on our timeline. And to make a long story really short and to fill in some gaps, uh, Sarah and Abram decided they were gonna f- help God out in keeping his promise. And so they involved a third party named Hagar. And uh, she was Sarah's servant girl. And uh, uh, she was to um, sleep with Abram and to produce an offspring or to produce a child that they would later take into themselves and help God out with this promise that he had made. Um, long story short, um, Sare and Hagar end up having some form of rivalry, uh, where Sare uh, treats Hagar harshly, and and Hagar runs away, um, and she runs away because she has been uh, mistreated and and is suffering at the hands of of Sarai, and God comes looking for Hagar, and he says, where have you come from, and where are you going? And whenever God ever asks us a question, he always has the answer. He's not looking for new information, but he wants us to warm up to that which he is inviting us to consider. And so, um, God reveals to Hagar that he is the God who hears, and he is the God who sees. And Hagar is overwhelmed with the fact that God is looking out for her. And God comes to her and says, I am El Roy. Roy means to see, and El is the Hebrew for God, the God who sees. And he reveals himself to to Hagar in that way. But the principle of the story is this, um, God takes issue with the way that Sarah treats Hagar because power must never be abused. That's an overarching principle that we need to carry with us through this teaching this morning. Power must never be abused. And uh, Dr. Tim Mackey says this he says, The seeds of Abraham, Abram and Sarah's actions to mistreat Hagar. Um, bear fruit in Egypt a number of years later, when their descendants are mistreated for 400 years at the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And so this idea of what goes around comes around, uh, this concept of we reap what we sow, uh, is literally pregnant in this story of, of how Sarah mistreats Hagar. God comes and says, I see, I hear. and and he advocates on her behalf. So we need to understand that again, that power must never be abused, and we end up reaping what we sow. Um, Okay, so I have three thoughts for you this morning, and they're consistent with this teaching uh, in the passage. Uh, We're gonna talk about marriages, parenting, and we're gonna talk about places of employment. And so the first one is this, the husband and wife relationship is to be one uh, characterized by love and honor. And um, those of us who are married understand that God's will for us is not just to survive marriage, but to thrive in it. It's not just supposed to be some sort of domestic partnership, but it's supposed to be a relationship where we help one another live truly our best lives. And um, keeping a covenant of love is not just avoiding uh, marriage or sorry, avoiding divorce, but it's actually about the proactive aspect of our vow keeping, which is to love and to cherish. And and God entrusts a marriage uh, partner to the other in order that they would be um, loved and honored and and cherished and that they would be helped in life. Um, And again, it was a response to this idea that it's not good that man be alone. And so God made a helper suitable for him. And so this idea of to love and to cherish is at the center of understanding Christian um, marriage, a covenant of love. And so we'll start our our text this morning. Verse 18, Paul writes and says, wives, submit to your husbands. We'll come back to that in just a second. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. In other words, Christian um, uh, wives are to live a little differently. They are to relate to their husband in a way that would be fitting uh, for their relationship to Christ or how they truly express their love for the Lord. And then, Paul's not done there. He says, husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. And uh, so this is a um, often misunderstood principle or passage. And uh, the moment you hear the word submit, it, it may fill your mind with all sorts of um, negative thought associations. Um, but both of those um principles need to be held in tension. Women are invited to uh, relate to their husbands in a way where there would be a natural flow of um, uh, partnership and submission, and then there would also be a mutual respect and regard. And then also, Paul says that husbands ought to never treat their wives harshly. Um, If we go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, um, when the first man and the first woman choose to live independent of God, um, God curses the ground, he curses the serpent, and and then there is this um, uh, order of relationships that are revealed because sin has now infected the human family. Uh, listen to this, it's actually in verse 16 of Genesis chapter three. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Wow, that's a loaded passage right there. Um, And and this is really uh, the fallen Genesis 3 roles, once sin infects the first couple. They're corrected in the Colossians 3 passage. So we have this this, uh, statement of God. He says, because this sin has infected you so much, women will desire to control their husbands and the husband will rule over his wife. Now, that that does not sound like a great relationship, does it? It it sounds like it is loaded with trouble. And as you read the pages of the Older Testament, uh, you understand that that relationships are hard, and they're hard today. But when Paul writes in Colossians chapter three, he is actually inverting um, that broken experience that sin has caused. And so now um, the wife is invited, instead of to seeking to control, she actually surrenders and submits. And the husband who, again, by instinct will want to rule, he is supposed to, um, in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter five, he is supposed to love his wife the way Christ loved the church, laying down his life for her. So the husband sacrifices, laying down his life for his wife, and the most natural thing for her to do now is to say, when I am loved like that, uh, I have someone who's willing to literally sacrifice their life for me. Uh, it's just so natural for me to come under that kind of leadership. And it's and mutual submission and regard as both husband and wife surrender and submit themselves to the leadership of Jesus. And so... Um, Sacrifice and submission are not bad words when they are understood in the context of what Paul is trying to communicate. And so the the model, the instinctive model of what it means to be human that was triggered in the garden when sin infected the first couple, that role is now inverted and reversed in Colossians chapter three. He's not gonna rule, he's gonna lay his life down for his wife and she's not gonna try to control, she's actually gonna surrender. and and it's a beautiful two-step dance that happens. And then there's mutual respect and high regard for Christ's vision, for Jesus' view of what a Christian marriage could look like. So that's Christian marriage, this idea of um, a relationship characterized by love and honor. All right, we'll talk about parent-child relationship and how it should be characterized by nurture and obedience. And uh, so Paul continues in verse twenty. He says, "Children, always obey, or it could be um, translated, listen attentively. Um, children, always obey or listen attentively to your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, parents, do not aggravate your aggravate your children, for they will become discouraged." And so, um, for parents today, we just need to be reminded that respect is earned, not demanded. And um, so uh, I've, got, I've got this just hopefully practical application point for all of us, those of you who are raising children and those of you who have um, adult children. Parents never stop being parents. And um, you know whether your children are young or not so young, we still play a very important role in our kids' lives. And so five ways to stay connected and earn respect from your children. Really quickly, here they are. Make time for shared experiences. Nothing says I love you more than T-I-M-E. Nothing says I love you more than time. Playing together, uh, eating together, serving together. These are, these are powerful shared experiences that help bond parent to child, child to parent. Uh, my dad sent me a text just the other day just to check in on me, just to see how I was doing. I'm, I'm 53 years young and, uh, and, and once a dad, always a dad. Uh, and so it's important that we, we, um, we have shared experiences and express interest in our, in our kids. Secondly, ask good questions of our kids and listen attentively to their response. Uh, it doesn't help to ask a question and then get distracted by our device, but to truly ask good questions that express interest and care and then listen for their response. Uh, thirdly, find true, gracious words that affirm and don't forget the laugh. A sense of humor can take a family a long way and it can actually bond and connect you to your kids. We have some inside humor in the Larmer family. And uh, because of shared experiences and because the funny bone has been impacted at the same time, at the same in the same room, in the same experience, we have that moment in time where all we have to do is start saying a statement or a sentence and, and we just know where we're going with it and laughter often erupts. Uh, number four, offer a warm touch of acceptance. All, all of us were made, uh, to be touched and, uh, and, and to be affirmed. Um, scripture talks about how when we lay hands on one another, it's actually an act of affirmation. And so when we give a warm embrace to our kids or we put our arm around a shoulder, or uh, we're just made for human touch. And, and when we do that, we actually affirm our kids. And then finally, um, celebrate children for who they are and not just for what they've done. Uh, I think that's huge because if we just celebrate what they do, we'll create perhaps some performance anxiety in our kids. And and then there will be a a, a conditional love rather than who you are. You're my son, you're my daughter, and and I love you and I celebrate you and I'm proud of you for who you are. And so uh, parents, uh, we earn respect, it's not demanded. And then children, uh, we need to understand this too, and I'm speaking to both parents and children today. Positional authority matters. Let let me unpack this for just a moment. We live in a culture right now which is kind of deconstructed authority and um, has in many ways, challenged leadership and institutions and and maybe perhaps rightly so in some regard and and maybe not so right in others. Um, But uh, positional authority still matters. Um, whether that be a teacher in a classroom, or whether that be a law enforcement, or whether it be even uh, governing officials in our society. Um, I, I kinda did some reflection on this earlier this week, and I, I wrote these words. A healthy civil society starts at home. To safeguard a functional social order, power and authority must not be abused. And neither should it be disregarded and disrespected. Both of those things really matter. So, how do we regain respect for authority in our culture? Because I would suggest to you today that we are um, maybe at a tipping point. Might be too strong of a term, but there is a significant challenge uh, to respecting authority, and that that is in the classroom. It is in the home. It is in civil society. That's not so civil sometimes, and uh, and everything is kind of. Um, out there being deconstructed, including leadership and including authority. So um, I would say this, if we're going to regain a culture of appropriate respect and regard for authority, it starts at home with parents. Um, Remember that you are leading your family. Your children are not leading the family, the parents are leading the family. That's not to suggest command and control leadership style, but one that is gentle and kind, um, clear, Uh, one that's um, modeling maturity and wisdom, Um, but parents lead their families. That's how it works for a rightly ordered society. And then I would suggest this to you as well. Caregivers, parents, we model by example and we teach our children how we care for elders in our society really matters, how we look out for the weak and the under-resourced, how we speak about people who have different ethnic backgrounds than we have, and how we talk about those in leadership, it all really matters. And we set the pace in our home and we model by example. And so if we as parents want to lead well, earn respect, and teach our children what it means to respect authority, we're gonna have to set the pace by earning respect personally, and then by modeling what it looks like for us to respect others who are in positions of authority. That doesn't mean that we can't find better ways to do things or we can't point out areas of weakness where we all can get better, but we don't wanna live a hyper-cynical, critical life where we're always throwing um, uh, jabs of critique at those in leadership because um, leadership can be challenging and no leader gets it right all the time, but we do wanna have um, a positive, we wanna make a positive contribution to having a well-ordered society, and it starts at home. And so, moms and dads, we're inviting you to be a part of that. Scripture is actually inviting you to be a part of that. All right, finally, number three, here we go. The employer-employee relationship that respects one another out of high regard for Christ. Uh, Just three last thoughts for this. Um, And you'd probably be surprised how many hours the typical worker will spend in a workplace over a typical lifespan if somebody works for 40 maybe 42 years in a workplace you know part time while they're in college university if they went to school uh, if they worked full time for you know four full decades It's about 90,000 hours that an employee will spend in their work. Now, the workplace has changed. Some people are working remotely and some people are in their workplace based on the nature of their job and and everything in between and hybrid models and all that stuff as we come out of this pandemic. But generally speaking, our work will take up a significant chunk of our life, probably somewhere around 25% of our life, maybe even more, we will spend working. And uh, when we have a good relationship with our work, it's not simply a means to earning a living, but it's part of how we carve out a meaningful life. Um, meaning includes what we do with the passions we have and the gifts and the skill set we've acquired and, and been given in life. And then it, it also includes the people we work with. And so the relationships we develop with the people we're shoulder to shoulder with in our workplace, they really have a significant impact on the quality of our lives. If, if you just don't really get excited about the people you work with, it can make your work experience less enjoyable. So Paul actually writes here. It's, it's a bit of a corrective in the New Testament. And I won't have time to unpack it all, but um, there is an Older Testament idea around um, something that is probably somewhat... Um, not controversial, but probably poorly understood by many. Uh, There was a slave master relationship in the Older Testament, and it was often very protective, and like I said, often misunderstood. Um, In the New Testament, it's a little different because they were in a a Roman, um, uh, Greco world, and and that was the culture of the day. And, And Paul is writing to Christians who are caught up in that society. And so the language he uses, I'm gonna substitute for employees and employers, but he starts by saying, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. So employees, obey your earthly employers in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, he says, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. He, he brings it back again to the supremacy of Jesus, even in the workplace. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving or your employer is Christ. Ultimately, your employer is Jesus. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done. It generally will catch up with you over over a lifetime is how the way life works. For God has no favourites. Masters, so employers, he says, be just and fair to your employees. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. And so to employers, um, you, you may be leading in your workplace, but you also come under the leadership of Jesus. And, and employees, you may have a certain circle of empowerment and all of that, and, and you are working for a person with a name and a title, but you're ultimately, according to Paul, working for Jesus. And, and this is the way Paul sets out the order as the Spirit inspires him to write this letter. So three quick thoughts are there. Employees owe their employer their best effort. That's how Christians ought to work in the workplace. Employees owe their employer their best effort. Not half-hearted contribution, not doing as little as possible for as much as possible, but they owe their employer their best effort. That reflects um, the character and the allegiance of the Lord Jesus within the Christian community. So Christians should be the best people to hire because they are working at another level as it relates to putting their full heart into their work. So employees owe their employers their best effort. Secondly, employers owe their employees generous compensation and fair treatment. They owe them that. Um, Now, there can be limitations based on the the work setting and the, the field you're working in. All of those dynamics are real. But at the end of the day, when an employer has the ability to compensate their employees better, whether that be uh, benefits, whether that be salary, whether it be work conditions, all of those things, employers owe that to their employees. And when an employer is profiting at exorbitant amounts and their employees are barely making out a a, a living, um, that, that does not please the Lord. Uh, there needs to be a sense in which, yes, maybe the employer has taken on more risk and the reward will reflect it, but the employees are playing a critical role in that organization or that business, that company, and sharing the profits, so to speak, should be a priority for a Christ honoring employer. And then, thirdly, um, God honoring employers and employees are ultimately serving Christ as they relate well with one another. And so that's the overarching theme. Again, Paul brings that to bear as he talks about the husband-wife relationship, the parent-child relationship, and then the employee-employer relationship. Christ is at the center of all of it. So um, we're gonna approach our relationships differently. And and I... I I would not be naive to say that marriage or parenting or the workplace doesn't present some challenges. Uh, we, we elevate the ideal and then we invite the reality of the spirit to help us pursue that together. And so will marriages have their challenges? Yes. Will, will families have their challenges in parenting? Yes. Will workplaces have their challenges? Yes. But as we commit ourselves to move towards the ideal and inviting the resource of the spirit and the word of God, the odds of us carving out a better marriage and a better family and better workplaces goes way up. So uh, I wanna pray for you and then we'll we'll send it back to our our host pastors. Uh, Father, thank you today again for your grace. Thank you for the beauty and the potential of human relationships. Lord, even the challenges that come to us are often, redemptive in the sense that they make us better. They call the best out of us, and it's almost like the Spirit puts another uh, weight on the bar that we're to move, and we get stronger. And um, when when the resistance is real, it can be challenging. But thank you, God, that whenever we meet resistance, you are there to help us. So we pray for marriages today, and families, and even employers, employees, and some of the challenges that might be real in all sorts of settings. Um, Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts and lives to you and we invite the work, uh, your work, uh, to be fully accomplished in us. And And may our relationships, God, may they truly um, have Jesus at the center and may we collectively um, orient our life around him and his ways. And, um, and we, we thank you again for the grace afforded all of us. If we would just turn our hearts towards you and ask for your help, God, you are so quick to come and help us with perspective and capacity and all of those things. So bless each and every one of my friends today who are watching. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, esteem uh, Jesus as the one true God, supreme over all of his good creation. And we commit our ways to you now. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.